even if you threw like half of that money towards the inner city schools, you'll find a lot of kids there who want to do some amazing things. They can do amazing things that you will otherwise have never had seen. Welcome to Black Educators Matter. This is more than a moment. It's a movement. Hey, it's Danielle. Welcome to Black Educators Matter. Our goal is to share the stories of 500 Black educators. We will celebrate the impact and achievements, learn from the lessons and challenges, and highlight the important roles that educators play in all of our lives. I'm excited to welcome today's guest to our show. As a do now, please tell us your name, your your role in education, and answer the question, why do Black educators matter? My name is Barry Sullivan. My role in education is I am a, apparently I've just found out I'm a visual substitute teacher, but I will be a full-time teacher in fall of 2021. And why Black Educators Matter? Solely because we need diversity in the schools. Even growing up, it's funny, my wife and I were talking about this. I don't recall, she had never had any Black educators growing up at all. And I was like, I've had them, they've been so few and far between. It's like in first grade, my I spent half of Mississippi after Chicago. It was simply a black teacher in Chicago. I did not. Second grade, I didn't, but then I had one in third grade, fourth and fifth, none, sixth grade I had one. It's just so spread apart. But then throughout the entire time, the one thing I've noticed and I've talked to my wife, I've never found any that reminded me of like myself, I guess. Because I'm pretty eccentric. And I think that's also what the diversity and representation also needs to be too. It's a combination. Like we've seen, I've talked about this, how in the media you see black people. And if you see it from a certain perspective, it's just like, we're all the same person. And you see it from the news perspective, it's never a good thing either. Whereas like my mom being raised in South is drastically different than I am as my dad's drastically different. We're all, we're not one monolithic group. We are a very wide range, diverse group of people with different experiences, but they all lead to the Black experience. But we all have just different parts in which we enter into it at. We are all connected by the universal thing of skin, tone, etc. But like also how we got to learning about ourselves as a culture. We've all experienced it different ways, and we've all been brought up different ways. And that's something that we can all share with each other. I love how you said that we are not a monolith, all of these different experiences, but they all lead to the Black experience. All of these lovely influences <laughs> leading to this Black experience. Now, where are you from, Mr. Sutherland? I am from Chicago. I was born and raised on the South Side. I grew up, oh, what was the first apartment we lived in? We moved rounds really early, but I spent most of my time from kindergarten up to seventh grade, like right off 92nd and Justine. So I grew up like roughly around like Auburn-Gresham area. And I've been to schools there. I've been to schools in Inglewood. I've been to schools in Roseland. I went to Mount Greenwood for high school. So I'm, I am literally Chicago at this point. And so do you remember, now you said about like it being few and far between your own experiences with black educators, but what was your K through eight experience like as a black boy growing up on the South side of Chicago? Like I said, I never stayed in any school too long. Like first grade, I was in two different schools in two different states. So I never stayed really in any school beyond like two years. So I just stay long enough to make a couple of friends and then get out <laughs> almost. So my experience was, 
I guess it was normal. It's just, like I said, weird that now I think back on it, I don't remember. No, correction. Sixth through eighth was the only time where every single year I actually had a black teacher. My main teacher was, because uh, I had, Felicia Hooker was my sixth grade teacher. Miss Smith was my seventh grade teacher. And for life of me, I cannot remember my eighth grade teacher's name. But that was the only period of my time of life when literally every year happened to be a black teacher. But every other year, like fourth and fifth, no, I, in Roseland, I didn't have black teachers at all. Third grade, I didn't have Miss Mackle. Second grade, I had Miss Franco, who was not black. So it's like, it's very, growing up, I think because I was just off, often into my own little, little world doing whatever, I just kind of followed my own rhythm in the world. And I think more of my teachers ended up becoming a lot of things I saw through TVs and through the music I was listening to. But I, my experience with my teachers, it wasn't until I think like high school I actually connected to any of my teachers to some degree. But I just, I, I saw them like, okay, I'm just, I just want to get out of school. Like, let's speed that process up a little bit. But high school is where I started kind of connecting more with a lot of my teachers, high school and college. Yeah, let's talk about the high school experience because it is a little bit different. You know, you're older. You said you've had these three back-to-back teachers, sixth, seventh, and eighth. So mm-hmm. what was your high school experience like, and what made you start to connect with your teachers then? It started really with my homeroom teacher, Mr. Elsie. I think partially because Elsie was from Mississippi and my mom's from Louisiana. So that kind of, and my grandparents still lived in Mississippi, and it turns out he didn't grow up that far from my grandmother, really. So, so it was like more of a connection with that. And he was just super cool to talk to. So he was my homeroom teacher, and I had him for like I think one actual class my junior year. But mostly I ever saw him in homeroom. But he was just very chill, easy to talk to. And it's like, okay, you're like us, you're like us kids, but you're definitely an adult. <laughs> but it's easier to relate to you because just laid back. He would always come in with. The suits, the slick back hair. I was like, this dude is cool. The rest of my teachers, except for like maybe a couple other teachers who I just really liked their classes, he was the only teacher I ever really liked. Okay, I can just hang out with you, talk to you about whatever, and you won't judge me, but we know that if we ever need something, we can just come to you with it. And that was the first time any, ever teacher, any teacher has ever been like that until like, I think college for me. And I think he's one of it was just him, like, one Greek teacher I have who taught English. Those are the two people, like, I can hang out with you guys. And they actually, oddly enough, they're both on my Facebook. <laughs> so there you go. That's so cool. Shout out to that homeroom teacher, because that really is the point of homeroom. You're supposed to feel safe. So, like, if there's a teacher that makes you feel safe in high school, shout out to the homeroom. I'll tell you a funny story with it. My mom, when she found out he was in Mississippi, I remember she came to school. They were talking. They got along very well. Quite two years later, I'm out of high school, whatever. He, she runs into, I guess, at a gas station, and they still remember each other. They're still talking, talking, talking. And she starts telling them about this plot of land that my grandmother bought in Mississippi. And she's like, I don't know why she bought it, but she now owns this land. He's like, well, if we want to sell it, I'd be interested. And they still would talk about it. It never happened. But then even cut to that, a couple of years after that, they would run into each other, and they just sit there talking like they're old friends. Like, they grew up together. And this will go on for, like, 10, 15 minutes. And she'll come back and call me and tell me all about this. <laughs> and, it's, and it still happens almost to this very day. They randomly run into each other. That is so cool. 
So, okay, now we have your elementary school experience. We got your high school experience where you got an opportunity and your mom got an opportunity to really connect with some of your educators. What about college? What led you to begin a career in education? So what led me to a career in education is like almost 20 years post-college. It just was like coincidence, actually. But in my actual first run in college, I was in a couple of classes. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm doing well in here. I was more into the social science classes. And I had one teacher, McClure McCombs, also a Southerner as well. I don't know what's going on with me and Southern teachers. But <laughs> he, was a, he was a great guy. He was in the, maybe like his early 70s at that point. And I remember taking a social science class. And because I thought things a certain way that most people don't really think things through, like, I remember it was a question about in what way are we this and how are we also this at the same time. I can't remember the full question. We were talking about like almost 20 years ago. And I was the only person who said, well, we would be this way for this way, but this is also the kind of result of that. And everyone looked at me like I was like, what is the point of that? I'm like, well, if we were doing it this way, it would be this. Because I'm in an elevator with him. He says to me, what did you get in my class, by the way? And I said, B+. He's like, you really should have gotten an A. You actually don't apply yourself enough. And you're really smart. You just do not apply yourself enough. But you should have easily rolled in that class for a day. Because he realized at the moment I outthought every single person in my class. Which also, side note, happened in my sophomore year of high school as well. When I explained that Frankenstein is very similar to the Jewish Holocaust. And the rest of the students, mind you, I was sophomore high school when I said this. Class stopped. <laughs> it's like, how do you not see the parallel to these things? And my teacher didn't disagree, but the students were just like, I don't get it. I'm like, all right. So similar things happened in college as well. How it led me to be an educator is I had a job working as a coffee production manager for five years. And I literally came in the day after New Year's, my God, was that like two years ago now, almost three years ago. And I got fired the day after New Year's. I had no prospects, I had nothing to do. I applied for a bunch of other jobs and friends calling me like, oh, you want to come work for this company? You're working like, I'll apply. And nobody ever contacted me. And then one day, a friend of mine was like, why don't you just become a teacher? I'm like, because he himself was a teacher as well. I'm like, like, dude, do I look professional enough to become a teacher? <laughs> Not really. And he said, but there's good money in it, and you'll be good at it. I'm like, I guess. And so I then did it because I'm like, okay, I need to put food on my family's table. I need to take care of myself. I need to pay bills. I need to pay rent. So I became a teacher. And it wasn't until I met my mentor that I'm like, okay, and then got to really work with students. I'm like, okay, I will really do this as a career. And here it is now. I'm in my, ooh, I finished my whole first semester of grad school, and I'm getting ready to roll back in in January to take my second semester of grad school and get my master's in education, English, English. So I'm actually going to go for teaching now. That is so incredible. And I, I just want to like reflect on a few different things. But first, before I ask my question, so how long have you been teaching? It'll be, so I've been teaching for about what, two, a little over two years. Okay. It started in fall of 2018. Yeah, so a little over two years. So we met, sheesh. We I was, met you in. It was the strike, which was. Yeah, okay. It's like February or March 2019, so I only been teaching for a few months at that point. Yep. I'm still trying to figure everything out at that point. 
So you were a substitute teacher deployed to a school that was going through a strike. And I worked at the network of the school and I was also deployed to that same campus. So that's how you and I met. Had you ever substituted for that school prior to the strike? Yeah, I've actually been there since, ooh, I've been there since October. Here's the funniest thing about that. Like, when I first started teaching, my first rule was I'm never doing a high school ever because I had cousins who were still, like, drastically younger, and they were in high school. And I would hang out with them, like, their stories. I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to high school. I'm never going to do this. And I remember doing a – and I, still, I started off doing, like, pre, preschool through second grade. I did one fifth grade class. I'm like, I'm never doing fifth grade again. <laughs> Cause that's that line where like they're, they want to, you want to be cute and innocent, but you want to see how far you get away with things. And like my tolerance is very low for that. Just like you have to play one side or the other. Can't be in the middle with me. And so how I ended up that school was I signed up to work around Ellison, not knowing it was a high school. I was like, he's like, yeah, I need a job today. Let me, you know, I'll, I'll sign up. And I signed up, and then I remember talking to Nancy Trochet there, and she's like, we were talking, and she's like, you know, it's a high school. I'm like, oh. It's like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know what to do in high school. She said, well, if you want to back out, you can back out. And I was like, no, no, no. I committed to you guys for a couple of days. I'm going to do my two days there. And I remember walking in, and it, all the students looked at me very strangely. Because I remember at the point I was still, this is before I started dressing more like myself. Where I came in, I remember like a button down shirt. I may have worn a tie, had khaki slacks on, everything. And they looked at me weird. I'm like, they, they identified with me, you know, but they're also like, this guy is not one of us. And so as time went on, even leading up to after Thanksgiving, where I was gone for a week, I started realizing that, oh, these kids actually do, they get me and they like me because I was gone for one week. And a little incident that I, at home during Thanksgiving, I'm like, okay. I'm going to just take this week off. I just not, I don't know if I should be going back into any job right now. So I took some, took a week off. I came back and literally the first thing I walked in the door, several of the freshmen and a couple of sophomores, they ran up and gave me a hug. Like, oh, we thought you got fired. I'm like, why would I get fired? You guys have known me for a month. Like, what have I done to get fired? <laughs> and they're so happy to see me. And it's like, they're like, oh, we thought you were gay. You thought you were fired. Like, no. And so I was there up until October of last year, actually. So I was there for about a year, actually. And and the greatest part of me being there is, like, when the kids started getting to know me, they realized that, oh, you grew up around this school. Yep, I grew up in two different apartments around the school, one on 92nd and Justine, the other one right off 87th and Damon. So I am you guys. And you see all of that I've gone through. I'll tell you my story, whatever. And I went on to do college. I went on to do this. I had life experiences. And here I am talking to you guys, and you guys see me weird because I'm rolling in with Susie and the Banshee shirts and, <laughs> and shirts of Reptar and stuff. But as you're talking, and you hear, hear my voice, which sounds very odd, but when you start talking, you're like, oh, you are from our neighborhood. I'm like, 100%. So you see that place order? That used to be a Chinese restaurant. It was not a church before. And so we'll talk about different things. It's like, oh, what's the, t- what the place? The Italian Fiesta. It's like, that place still open? Yeah, I said, you see a pizza from there? Yes, <laughs> I did a lot actually. When you so, talked about growing up in Auburn Gresham, I'm like, yeah, you were right at. You grew up at the school where you started your career. Pretty much, I. I'll tell you this: I for second and third grade, 
I went to Wendell E. Green, like right off Vincennes. Yep. That entire area. So for you to walk in and the kids to think like he's not one of us, when in reality, <laughs> like you said, I actually, <laughs> we are the yep. same. So how did you recognize that connectedness between you and your students? How did you all start to form that bond? Just They just start talking to me about things. I think with most students, because I'm a sub, if I'm in long-term schools, I tend to just be myself more things. So a lot of students are finding out that like I like basketball, I like video games. Then when they were talking about music, I'm like, oh man, I'm like your music is trash. I'm like no offense, you your generation, your music is trash. They do not listen to this, this, and this. They're like, what's that? And even when I was teaching our place, six was there. I would play some of the music I was into. It could be anything from like Gorillas or Back to Lashes to like what is it? Oz did they uh, did Illmatic with a symphony. So I'll play parts of that or parts of Mad Billing and things like. That. And they kind of start seeing this connection. Oh, he does listen to some of the stuff we listen to. I said, no, your music is still trash. <laughs> <laughs> there are other things you can listen to that kind of can expand upon what you listen to. And so just by hanging out with them, and particularly that sophomore class of that year, because they, God bless them. I, I, I love them, but they were unruly to no end. And when their teacher left, I think their scare tactic was, well, he's going to be in this room with us. Let's just try to scare him and get rid of him. And when they start in that class in particular, they start realizing, yeah, I'm not really going to, unless A, scared of you, and I'm not really going to go anywhere, but I can work with you guys on things. And they started kind of like warming up to me a little bit. Because even they made fun of me to some degree when I first came in, but they started warming up to me substantially. And I became a class that even now, like a couple will email me here and there, and I'll chat with them, see how they're doing, I'll say happy birthday to them. They just lost a member who would have been a senior this year over mm. summer. Mm. She passed away. And I actually reached out to a couple of her friends and talked to them a little bit about things. And But that class in particular, that kind of became the class that for some reason I got linked to. So whenever they saw me, they were always just happy, even though they would still like torture me. <laughs> they still just loved being around me. And that came to a point where when I was there for the beginning of last year, I had was teaching them with business. So I will come in like, well, what kind of businesses do you guys want to start? Well, here's how you can make a lesson plan. Here's how you can do this. I bring like little sheets in. Start If you start writing down your plans, we can form up little different things and we can work through things. But you have to kind of know what your initial plan is. You have to have an end goal and you have to be able to like detail the little things in between. And a few of them, I would talk to them about that. And a few of them actually just got it and we got along very well. I remember that sophomore class. They they were so very interesting. That year, that year was really, really, really rough on that school. So for a lot of the teacher turnover or the vacancies that we had in the start of the year, which is why you were invited to come, then mm-hmm. they had the strike and then they had a death, a tragic death of a student that spring yep. so that, that that year was an incredible time for the students for the staff for the community what has been the most impactful moment that you've had as an educator thus far it's two things i'll end up maybe three things one was meeting my mentor dr moore i, I haven't been in contact with dr moore to tell her like i actually got to grad school because i remember the day i met her it was the first day i was at ellison and she and I were talking, and she's like, do you ever consider really being a teacher, not just doing yourself, but actually become a teacher? I'm like, no, not really. I'm like, at this point, I'm only like 
five, four or five weeks of teaching. I was like, not really. She said, you should really consider going to ELA. You'd be really good at this. Because she saw this fact of me that I am political, but yet I'm, here's how we can do this better. Let's think this out a little bit more. And I would chime in as a para in her class. And so the more I would do that, I started really considering it. And it wasn't until I applied in, ooh, I applied in October. No, I applied in November of last year to get into grad school. And I only sent it to one grad school. I got rejected from another teaching program months earlier. So I applied for DePaul and got in like instantly. And so that's one of the impactful moments to just meet Dr. Moore. And if I ever can get in touch with her anytime soon, I would tell her that Thanks to you, I actually did go to grad school. I am currently sitting at a 3.9 GPA in grad school. <laughs> and I am one year out from being a teacher. Well, yeah, about a year, year and a half out from being a teacher right now. And that's really just from getting to know you. Had I never met her, I don't think it would happen. This is just one of many stories, and we want to keep the conversation going. Follow us on Instagram at blackeducators.matter. Visit us online at www.blackeducatorsmatter.org. Help build the movement by joining our Patreon. Now, let's get back to our Project 500 podcast. Second impactful thing is after that senior class of that year graduated, a lot of them added me on Facebook. And then I started getting a flood of messages from all of them after I was talking congratulations. And this actually happened with the class that just graduated this past year as well. They all like would send me messages thanking me for just being positive with them, encouraging them, spending time, either whether it's just talking about basketball or just hearing a life problem. If a student needed like a dollar to get a person happen to have a dollar, I'll give you that dollar. It's like, I'm, you don't owe me anything for it. I just want you to be safe where you are. Even uh, one of the students who, she would be a senior now, when she was a sophomore, I started she told, she, teaching her how to make iron-on t-shirts. Up until the summer break, we were still talking about that. I haven't talked to her since the summer, but I was showing her how to make it. Like, so if you want to make business, all you need are these three main things, and you could easily just do iron-ons with no problem at all. And I would talk to these kids about little things like that, finding what you're good at, finding things you can do, or if you're not good at something, just exploring what you can do and learning something about it. And working into your early life, my wife got on me about this. Whereas, and a couple of students were like, I'm not sure about college. And I'm the person who's like, okay, you're not sure about it, that's fine. You don't have to go right now. But what you can do is two things. Figure out what you want to do. And if you want to do something school-wise, at least take one class. It will show you kind of what you're doing with that. That's like low stakes. And if you don't like the class, you don't like how it's planned out, or you don't like the subject, you kind of know and you don't go further into something that you get yourself into debt into and you don't like doing. Or while you're doing that, just find out a career that you like doing and just kind of find your way into that. So one way or the other, you're gonna it's just no fail. So if you find a career that you like doing and you can do it, you may not necessarily need a degree in, you can always come back for that degree, but you at least kind of keep things going. Or you can do, like I said, just take one class and subject you're interested in and See where it goes. It's all low stakes and all gain and win. The other thing that actually impacted me as an educator, as I mentioned, the sophomore classes and they're having their loss right before this school year. Can, do I say the student's name or 
They have a student who was like in a sophomore class that she would be a senior now, and she, I would say, is honestly one of the top five students in that class. She's insanely smart. It took me forever to get her to break the ice and talk to me. <laughs> she always looked at me like, I don't, you're doing too much, Miss Ferry. Leave this alone. I don't want to deal with this. And then one day I saw her sitting in the corner. I was like, hey, come over here for a second. She comes over and was like, why are you always looking mad at me? What did I do to you? She's like, I'm not mad. I'm just angry with some other stuff. It's like, okay, well, you can talk about it right now. There's no judgment. Like, you can talk. And then that's how we started talking. So whenever she had papers due or whatever, she would come to me first. Like, okay, here's the paper. This is this, this. Okay, what do you got? Let me see it. Then she'll show it to me. Uh, she has some poems for Dr. Morris. She's like, I don't want to read it. I said, run it by me first. Let's see what you got. And she would run it by me. I'm like, okay, you don't want to use that too much, but you're. I like where you're going with this. Just modify it a little bit here. And I would always encourage her to do more. And even when I was moved out of that class to do other classes, I would ask Dr. Moore how she's doing in this class. How is she doing in this class? Because I knew she was capable of doing something seriously amazing. So when she passed away in the summer, and a couple of people mentioned that, it was a moment because a year earlier I lost a friend of mine who was the first friend of my adult life that I ever lost. So a year, so here you go, now a year later, and she's now gone. I actually broke down and cried because like, I didn't realize that this student who's not going to be a senior, who was going to be a senior, had made that much of an impact on me. She's not going to get to do all these things. She easily would have gone to any college of her choice. She had a career that would have just blown people's minds if she got a chance to experience it. But she sadly will not get to. And I, even though right now I'm getting kind of sad about that, but just knowing that she would not get to do what she was truly capable of doing, experiencing what she's truly capable of experiencing, that kind of hit me hard. So that would be the third impactful thing to happen. Thank you for sharing that. I think as educators and adults who work in education, the experience influences people in so many different ways. And so number one, Dr. Moore is brilliant. If you talk to Dr. Moore, please tell her that I said, hit me up because I would love to interview her. She's incredibly brilliant. And I'm I'm so glad that she was able to pour into you and encourage you in the school. Like working in schools is growth for everybody and learning for everybody. We think that the students learn, but in real life, the adults lead that space change too. Even the connections that you've established with these kids, it really reminds me of the connection that you have with your homeroom teacher. Being that safe space that they can come to and talk to, that you can get feedback on outside of projects where it's not a grade, where I have to be afraid of handing over my work and it's going to be A, B, C, D, F. It's like, how is this? Is it good? Should I go harder? Should I go softer? And then the life skills. You taught me life skills. For people who don't know, I was podcasting. Before I met Mr. Sutherland, but when I met him and he told me he had a podcast, he changed my whole game. He taught me about different systems that I can use, different ways that I can edit my podcast, and really how to just become more sophisticated in what I was already doing. So thank you for all the impact that you've had, and also thank you for sharing those impactful stories. Now, as a thinker and someone who thought out-thought everybody in your class... I cannot wait to ask you this question. (laughs) What is the state of education in Black America, and how did we get here? I can simply say that, but you can look at the fact that our stimulus check, if we ever get it, might be $600. That is the perfect parallel to everything that's wrong 
oddly enough in this country, but like especially in education right now, period. It's a case where, I, I, so my second job, I'll say this, is I work at a bar and I used to be a doorman at the bar. Now I work as a barista during the mornings, while, which has worked out while this pandemic is going on. Like, hey, you want to be a barista and a bartender? Like, sure. So that's worked out. And I remember when I was a doorman, I met this guy who was also a fellow teacher. I don't remember what school he's at, but he's a white teacher. And I thought it was cool. He and I were just chatting back and forth. And he was talking about like, how he has an after-school gaming program group I'm like oh that's cool like and then he starts telling me like oh yeah and then the school afforded this much money for computers you got all these like alienware computers this is this and this and i'm like huh it's <laughs> like okay like and i'm thinking to myself okay i work in this particular area you probably teach somewhere within this area somewhere in a richer area so i'm like so you're getting this many thousands of dollars just to teach a professional game, which I, me, for me, I'm like, oh man, why weren't you my teacher growing up? But, but the thing that was stuff like, that's just really bogus. You're getting this much money just to teach gaming. It's not like it's a college situation where gaming, you're just an after school club, basically. That, that's all you are. And it, at a moment where it's just like, as you think about that, it's like, so many people don't get updated textbooks. So many people don't get computers. Even I've had schools that, a lot of schools I'm at, and I won't say the schools I'm at, these particular schools, but they'll get laptops that are like stolen or they'll be keys will be missing or partially broken. The internet may not work very well. But this dude somehow convinced the school to give them X amount of dollars for gaming equipment. Whereas, I don't, again, I don't want to say names or anything of schools I've been at. We tried to start a music program at one particular school I was at. And we couldn't even get like a couple hundred bucks to get microphones and everything else. And it's like, and even on top of that, because of me being a sub, they didn't want to let me be in charge. I was here from the ground floor of this project, you know, fine. We tried for a good chunk of time while I was there at school to get a music program started. So even if I'm gone, you guys still have this program. And it's just not. So and that's one of the issues right there. It's just like, I think... I'll use this as an example. Uh, my favorite band of all time is a band called Fishbone. I always use Fishbone as an example for a thing. I played Fishbone during my time at Ellison, and the kids hated it. I'm like, listen, you just see, you just hear them playing all this rock music, but don't forget they're also a soul band. You see like purple like mohawks, but you're forgetting they're from South Central LA. You're not seeing the correlation here between these things. And that band is always my like go to for many things. And that's a prime example. For example, they influence so many bands, but yet they A, don't get the credit for it that they deserve. And then on top of that, people are just like, oh, whatever happens to them? And they can't, they have trouble getting record deals and everything else. That's kind of the correlation I'll go with this, is like, this guy is able to get this much money for schools, but these other schools, these inner city schools can't get laptops or working laptops or even locks to put on the cabinets for laptops. And as we're getting ready to go back unfortunately, go back into school buildings. I don't want to say it that way because I realize I'm still technically employed by a certain company. <laughs> <laughs> but as we're getting ready to go back into schools, it's weird. They, we're signing almost a waiver to say like, oh, are you going to be able to come back into schools in January? And I'm like, there, at the time, I'm like, there's no vaccine. And I know fully well that you're not going to Put duct, new ductworks in the buildings. You're not going to do this. You're not going to purify air. You're not going to do any of that in these schools I go into. But any school of state, that, of the city, of state, whatever, 
I guarantee you, they probably destroyed that school and rebuilt it by now. So that's where I'm at with things. I think the idea is that people find the money where it is, and usually you find a lot more money with the, like the wider white communities. And so people are just like, oh, well, they could use this, and they don't necessarily need it. But because it's seen as elegant, so to speak, quote, unquote, or seen as this, or, you know, they have a better chance of getting ahead, and this is a, we're going to throw as much money towards that, as opposed to, like, well, why don't you throw money either as much? Even if you threw, like, half of that money towards the inner city schools, you'll find a lot of kids there who are going to do some amazing things and could do amazing things that you will otherwise never have seen. I, there was a student at Ellison that was in, who was into robotics. I never knew that. He and I had a conversation. He's like, yeah, I've won some competitions. Like, what? You, you? Dude, you're goofing off all the time. How'd you win a robotics competition? He's like, yeah, I build robots. I'm like, why? You're blowing my mind right now. Why don't we have robotics program here? And I found out with so many schools, like, if you, a lot of these kids, there's a video, there's a kid who just graduated from there who was a chess prodigy. Did not know this. I played him one day because I like playing chess. Didn't know this. He beat me in like less than 10 moves. How are you, dude? <laughs> he said, oh, you know I play chess? Like, no. He's like, yeah, I've playing since I was a kid. Why are we not pushing more from this with these kids? The fact that this kid's into robotics. I've had another kid bring me, asking me about raspberry pies. I do this. What can I build with this? What should I build with this? Why are we not pushing that more? We're pushing. It's a weird situation where I'm a big fan of Killer Mike, and he's talking about the idea of pushing more for that we should also learn trades. So if it doesn't work where you do this, you have a trade, which I agree with. But same right, when you got kids who are wanting to do robotics and this, 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 and those are things that can give them scholarships, we should really be pushing more for that. And I'll do, that's one of the things I'm going to do as I get my master's in English, is I'm taking the unconventional route of an English class and doing what Dr. Moore did. And I'm going to give a shout out to one of the coolest teachers I've ever met, Mr. Ferrara, also Ellison. It's going to be a combination of both their classes. Because you can't teach an English class without teaching a social science in that process of it. And that's what Dr. Moore did. And that's, I think, one of those things that we can do to kind of almost even the playing field a little bit. Because if you're not going to get the money, fine. It's horrible, but you have to also at the same time figure out interesting ways to even the playing field. You got to do it without money sometimes that way. It's incredible. It's all about access and equity. And the brilliance that our kids have when they come into these schools that they are never even given a chance to showcase because we don't have a robotics club or I don't have a gaming program or I don't have a chess club. Like if y'all never sat down and played a game of chess randomly, that's not in the curriculum, you never would have known that you were sitting with a prodigy. So it is incredible to know like all the brilliance that comes into the schools and how because of lack of resources, we never even get a chance to let our kids shine their light. 100%. So what advice do you have for, I would say, substitute teachers? You began your career in a very non-traditional, you know, a non-traditional route. You did not go to school, a declared education major. You mentioned the fact that you applied for an alternative teacher training program and you got rejected, which is a whole different conversation about access for black people trying to enter the field. Oh, yeah, I will just leave it there for black people (laughs) trying to enter the field. 
Like, what advice do you have for substitute teachers who want to begin a career in education and have to, like, really fight their way into the classroom? Honestly, I'm going to say this, and I'll tell you exactly why I did I came in dressing the part of a teacher. So I looked professional, did all that stuff. All the things I know, I I remember cutting my hair for it. The whole nine, just walked through the door, looking like, oh, this guy's really this, this, this. I'm like, yeah, okay. And then when you get into the room, be yourself. Once you've like broken that ice with kids and you gain their trust, be yourself. The downside of being a sub is that you're rarely anywhere for too long. I've had it long since like a few schools. And the, all, the thing I always would be at those schools is just myself. I didn't see any reason not to be myself with things. I like to say I'm a very eccentric, kind of silly, kind of weird person. But again, all of my experiences, while they may not be the same as your experiences or this person's experiences, we all come together at this one meeting point and like, these are our life's goals. These are our So something you may have experienced in your life I probably experienced it, but just in a different way. And we've all come to the same conclusion about that. I remember, I think I've even told some of the kids this stuff. We've had conversations. And we've talked about even policing. I said, yeah, I mentioned, I've been stopped by cops a few times. And I told them, I, and I turned it into like a humorous story how it's happened. It was like, I said, it was the dumbest thing. This is what happened. And it's like, it was nothing. Like, how'd you get out of it? Oh, I talked my way out of it. <laughs> That's just what I do. But it's there, right? That may not apply to you for things just but you have to also know what to do in these situations and that's just life in general and like i said the thing um to what subs your main thing is you gotta get into the door first just so look the part you need to look to get into the door and that's the same thing in america as a whole like even if the uh, the book i'll probably talk about this in my class at some point the spook who sat by the door how he got his job is he looked the part to get that job and the moment he got in that job, he's like, yeah, I'm going to turn all the, I'm going to unite all the gangs and just turn them against the government. And that's how you do it. You have to look a certain way to get in once you're in the door and you've earned that trust. Be yourself and just be honest. I don't sugarcoat things with kids. I am myself 100% of the time. If you can meet any of my friends from the time I was 17 till now, they'll tell you the exact same thing about me. I'm just, he's just buried. That's it. There's no rhyme or reason to it. It's just the way it is. And that's the thing I think subs should do. But also the downside to it is, like I said, you're never in any one place for long periods of time. If you're lucky enough to get like a permanent teaching position, it's great. But if you don't, I mean, the time you're there, make meaningful impacts with people. Like I said, I was at Elsa for a year. And even the graduating class from, at the end of my first year there, a lot of them sent me messages talking about how positive I was with them, how much I spent time with them. I, even one kid, I kept telling him whenever he's like, Mr. Barry, I got a problem. So much problem. He said, Someone's going to fail me. Why are you going to fail me? He said, Well, what you do in class? Said, Why well, do you anything that day? Well, I said, Well, that's on you, first of all. Can you make up the work? He said, Yeah, absolutely. Okay, what does Kevin Garnett say? He's, What do you mean? You see, you know, when Kevin Garnett and Celtics won the championship, what was his, what was his phrase? He's like, I don't remember. I said, Oh, let me play it for you. Anything is possible. <laughs> exactly. And so every time I would see him toward the end of his, his senior year, He's like, I don't know if this is going to work. said, I need you to guard net that for me. He's like, are you serious? I need you to guard net for me right now. Anything's possible. said, no, 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 no. I need you to guard net that. And he, I, I got him actually screaming out every single time I had to do it. And there you go. Flip side to that. The funny thing is, when I had to take the tap test, I 
pass everything but math because I'm horrible at math. That's literally the one thing I failed at. But when I was trying to learn how to do the math, he was actually one of the students who was trying to help me figure out how to do the math. And I still failed. But he <laughs> sat down with me and tried to actually work on the math element to me and explain like elements of math that I just do not get. And he actually sat down with me and tried to work with me on that. So That is and, incredible. And he, and he actually made me Garnett as well, too. So I'm going to need you to Garnett that for me. I, I love that <laughs> phrase. And I think that <laughs> you need to put that on one of your T-shirts. There you go. You I mean, once you that. teach the kid that phrase and show them, the, mostly once you show them that video, then like at that point in time, you can actually ask a student to do that. And I try to keep things positive with kids. So like, yes, that is a prime example. And, I, and even with that, I'll explain to, I've explained to him why that was a big deal. Because then like Boston didn't even make the playoffs the year before. They won 21 games. And then the next year they won a championship. So yes, anything is possible. See it and dream it. Just make it happen. No, nothing can stop you but yourself, man. Come on, Mr. Barry. Spoken like an educator that is in school pursuing a degree. <laughs> like you, you are do you living it and doing it. Thank you so right. much for sharing your story. You've shouted out so many black educators, like your homeroom teacher as well as your mentor, Dr. Moore. Are there any other black educators that you would like to thank? Yeah, going back to Ellison, I want to mention Miss Randall. Miss Randall's the English teacher I wish I would have had my sophomore year. I don't remember my sophomore year's teacher's name, but I remember, again, I used to have, I remember being smarter than my teacher. And it's like, this isn't going to work out here. Whereas Randall, Randall's hardcore, man. Like, she's, she's tough. She's fair, but she's tough. And I remember those kids not getting that. I'm like, she's pushing you to do these things. She knows you can do these things. And all you're doing is complaining about doing it. And when I was sitting with them and do the, helping with the work, I'm like, you can easily get through this class. She's giving you hard work, but it's not hard. She's pushing you up to like, so you're not going to be sophomores. You'll think more like juniors and seniors. You just have to focus on what's happening here and then just pay attention to it. You can easily do this work. Just sit there, read what you're reading, and think this out, and you'll have every answer you can possibly have. And I always admire that about Randall. And then when the student like, Oh, it's Randall. You do her too much. She's like, Am I? Am I? <laughs> and it's just like, You're not showing, and these kids, you kids are showing up with pencils, and it's just like, just like, You, the amount of work she's giving you guys, if you show up on time, and she was, uh, she was definitely a stickler for that, show up on time, show up with your materials, you couldn't do the work, you could pass that class. But if you're going to hem and haw over everything, you're not going to get very far in there. And I used to see kids trying to make up work. I'm like, this work you could nail for the first time out. Even if you got a B on it, even how hard it is, you at least read it, you understood it, and you attempted it. That's all she's asking. So I always love being in her class for that. And just, I think what's funny is, like, I, think, I see Randall, that's the level of toughness I wish I had. But <laughs> no, I do not. <laughs> but I, I see that, and I'm like, man, I gotta be like her. She does not take anything off those kids, and, but she also pushes them to try to do more you know and it's up to them if they want to do it she's not stopping where short of like pushing them to do more so 
She is an incredible educator. That building was full of brilliant, brilliant people all working to make that high school located on the nine on the south side of Chicago a better place. So Mm -hmm. thank you so much for sharing your story, for shouting out those educators and for giving me that phrase. I'm going to need you to garnet that for me because I'm (laughs) going to take that into my 2021 and beyond. Anything really is possible. Thank you so much for sharing your story and everything that you've done on your pathway to becoming a full-time teacher. It was, it is, and it always will be worth it. So thank you. Thank you. Put it all mine. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Black Educators Matter. Are you ready to share your story? Visit us online at www.blackeducatorsmatter.org to sign up. Remember, make excellence equitable and thank a Black teacher today.